Okay, so this is part four of our current event and weekly Bible study for February 3rd, 2008. And we're going to continue with our last part of our study there in regard to uh, uh, women preachers and women in the ministry and what, what women's role are uh, from a biblical standpoint. And this is my reply to the, to, the, uh, <clears throat> to the letter that was just asked me in regard to... Uh, Oh, the daughters that prophesy in Acts 2.17 and, and then Deborah and these types of things in Azusa Street. I, I wrote them and I said, go to this link, and I listed this link that gives you the full history of Azusa Street. Now, I'm going to put this in PDF format so you'll be able to just click on the link and go to it. And it says, regarding the corrupt foundation of the Azusa Street, which is really the foundation of the Pentecostal slash Charismatic Church, I am going to be doing a teaching on this soon, Lord willing. I will be interjecting a high amount of scripture with this teaching. And then I said... This is a teaching, that, now my, my full reply here is one that you may want to reread, as I even did, in order to fully comprehend all the scriptures right now that I'm going to be quoting you. But the biblical confirmation is simply awesome to view, and it's not because I'm awesome, it's just because the Bible is very clear on this. So this may be a teaching that you might want to read as you're reading this, and you may want to stop the tape and reread it, okay? Because there's a lot of stuff I'm going to be talking about here. Now, in regard to Acts 2, 17-21, which is where Peter tells the men of Judea that their daughters would prophesy, read the scriptures below in order that I have set them to see that primarily this will occur during the tribulation. Primarily. I'm not saying totally, but primarily. The point can be unquestionably proven if you look at the blood and fire and moon references both in Joel and Acts. And we're going to look at those. See below. So you have to, again, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 So that's what we're going to do. We want to look at these verses in context. Okay? A Pentecostal look at them and say, Oh, that everything applies to now that I want it to apply to now. Well, it doesn't work that way. Are we still under the Levitical law? We have to go out and perform sacrifices and, and, you know, go to the temple and these types of... No. So, although a lot of people think we are, the, the Christian Zion movement, but, you know, that's a whole other subject I've gotten into further. But this... If we go and then we do a keyword search to find that this will only occur during the tribulation as all these prophecies are fulfilled in Revelation and in Revelation only. Now, let me state that again. In regard to Acts 2:17 through 21, that this is primarily going to occur during the tribulation, this point can be unquestionably proven if you look at the blood and the fire and the moon references, both in Joel and in Acts. So in other words, we want to look at when is blood, fire, and moon and the moon mentioned? Because that's the same context of Acts um, 17 through 21, which I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead and just yeah, let's read it. Actually, it's just a little bit further. It's a little bit further. Let's just read this as a foundation, and then we're going to go back. So it's a little bit further down in the verses I quote. Now read Acts 17-21, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, it says the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions... And your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, 
Now remember, this is in conjunction with what he just stated. Okay? And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Now let me ask you a question. Did that primarily occur in Acts? Was there, was there a lot of mention that in those days, at the days of Pentecost, that there were wonders in the heavens above? That there were signs in the earth, blood and fire and great vapor of smoke? No, not that I see anywhere, but it sure is mentioned in Revelation. We're going to look at this. Bear with me. And then it says, The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great, great and notable day of the Lord come. Well, did that occur in Acts? I don't think so. Now, we're... In, when they were in the upper room and the and the um, cloven fire appeared above their head and they started speaking in other tongues and men heard the gospel in other um, languages, which was a great way to propagate the gospel. And because the, the um, message primarily came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, and the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after knowledge, that, yes, there were some miracles in that day. But, did we have all these other things going on? The wonders in heaven above, the, the signs in the earth beneath, the blood, the fire, the vapor, smoke, sun being turned to darkness, moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. Was, did that occur in Acts? I don't think so. Because of Revelation. So again, this is called rightly dividing the word of truth. Now remember, this is the proof text that many Pentecostals will use in order to say, oh, it's okay for women to be preachers because look, these, it's said that the, uh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. What a weak argument that is. When it's so clear in the other verses we've already read that women are not to rule over men and that they're not to be pastors and they're not to be deacons and these types of things. But they want so bad to be able to justify their sin that they will do anything they can, twist scripture, do jump through every hoop in the world, ignore all the other, other scriptures that are obvious and plain in order to justify their position. It's really pathetic. And then it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, now, let's go back. So now we know what Acts 2, 17-21 says. We just read it. Now, let's go further. Pentecost and the miracles that followed did not last indefinitely, as verified by many early church writers. Okay? I mean, is it, did it happen all through history? Are we still doing the same things we, we did in Acts? Are we still doing all those things that happened in Acts? I don't think so. These miracles and these types of things died out. And I believe the reason it is, is because the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after knowledge. Okay? The Jews required this in order to believe, because that's the way God had always dealt with them. But at some point, the emphasis shifted more onto the Gentiles. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so let's just read this further. Um, now, these were some things that happened in Acts for a short time, but they ceased afterward. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't have the power to do signs and wonders and miracles and these types of things. But just remember, Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. But no sign shall be given unto you, but under the sign of the Son of Man. Okay, these types of things. For as the Son of Man was three days, or as Jonah, I'm sorry, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, that was from Jesus Christ himself. So, let's go further here. 1 Corinthians 13.8. 1 Corinthians 13.8. 
We're going to prove our point here. Charity never faileth. But whether there shall be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there shall be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there shall be knowledge, it shall vanish away. You may be asking yourself, why did all the miracles and things start to cease? Well, one reason is that 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. These miracles were signs to the Jews, as the Lord had always dealt with them through signs and wonders. Remember, Jesus went first to the Jews. You know? He came to his own, but his own received him not. Remember that in John? came first to his, the Jews, his own people. Okay? But now read in Acts 18, 5 and 6. Let's read that. Acts 18, 5 and 6. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Now this is after, this is after Jesus was already, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection, after Pentecost. This is after they had already tried to deal with the Jews for a long time. So, again, here is Paul, was pressed in the Spirit. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they oppressed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. End of quote. Now that's what Paul said. This is why I say God doesn't just give you infinite numbers of chances to get saved. The Spirit of God will not always strive with man forever. You know, you better get saved in the day of the Lord when the Holy Spirit's there to convict you. Because if the Holy Spirit's not present when somebody's trying, you know, trying to lead you to the Lord, if the Holy Spirit's not in it, you're not going to get saved. Because salvation is not of yourself. Yes, it's a free will choice you make. It is a gift of God that you receive. Okay, but the Holy Spirit has to be in it in order for it to be real. Okay, so he says, henceforth, I will go to the Gentiles. That's what he said. This is the point where the emphasis started shifting more to the Gentiles. At this point, the apostolic soul-winning emphasis primary shift, primarily shifts to the Gentiles. Most likely up until the time in which the tribulation begins. Okay? Remember, Blindness of part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. The Jews were blind. When the fullness of the Gentile comes in, their eyes are going to start being opened. That's why the, the emphasis shifts more back to the Jew during the tribulation. Two-thirds of them, unfortunately, are going to die, according to the Bible. And one-third will come through and be refined in the fire, as the Bible clearly says, and will actually be the true Jewish remnant that God talks about. Again, that's a whole other study, but um, let's go further. Romans 11.25 Romans 11.25 For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. That's why I'm sorry I'm getting ahead of myself here. Most likely, when the fullness of the Gentile comes in, it will coincide with the start of the seven year tribulation and the emphasis will start to go back to the Jews, and their own eyes will start to be slowly opened. See Zechariah 12, 9 and 10. Zechariah 12, 9 and 10. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. This is during the tribulation. And I will pour upon the house of David, the house of David, this is, these are the Jews, this isn't Gentiles. It says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Well, we know the Jews have already been regathered back into Jerusalem. Right? Okay. 
So in the day that all the nations come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. How do we get saved? For you are saved by grace, through faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ. The grace of God. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It was a gift that was freely given to the Jews, but unfortunately, for the most part, they massively rejected him. When he was before Pilate, Jesus, they said, Pilate said, hey, which one should I give you? And they said it over more than one time. They said, give us Barabbas, the murderer. Take away this Jesus Christ. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Well, when they did that, they brought a curse upon their race, unfortunately. I'm not being anti-Semitic. I'm being truthful. Okay, this is why the Jews don't like the New Testament. One of the reasons, because it paints them in a very bad picture. For the most part, I'm not saying everyone. I'm just being honest here. So, and then, and then it says... So, God says, when all the nations come against Jerusalem, Zechariah 12, 9 and 10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. Grace, remember, grace is how you get saved. Part of the way. Grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 9. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Oh, who's this in reference to? Jesus Christ. Now, this is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, written, you know, this is a part that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even here. Foreknowledge of his crucifixion. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. As one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. End of quote. That's when, I mean, I'm not saying they're not going to have their eyes open prior to that. But obviously, this is a big time when their eyes are going to be opened. And they're going to look upon the Son of God whom they pierce, and they're going to mourn for Him. They're going to realize that they actually put their Savior on the cross. Now I understand, this was this is generations and generations later, but I'm talking corporately as a race. They're going to realize this. Remember, why? why? Because blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. They've been blinded. They've been blinded because they rejected the Son of God. Their only, only hope, their only Savior. They're finally going to look upon Him whom they've pierced and mourn because their eyes are going to finally be opened. Unfortunately, it's going to take two-thirds of the whole nation to die. And one-third are going to be tried as fire and that's not going to be pretty. But, hey, one-third out of a whole nation, saved? That's pretty good, um, if you think about it. Most people, I mean, if you look at people that are dying and going to hell right now, it's probably who knows what the ratio is. But I guarantee it's not one-third of the people going to heaven. There's no way. It's not even close. So if we go further, this verse is in direct reference to Armageddon, the Jews' realization of who Jesus Christ really is, and how the emphasis will shift back to the Jews in the last days, and how they, the Jews in Israel, will have the Spirit poured out upon them. Remember, the Holy Spirit has to be there in order for you to get saved. 
Acts 2, 14 and 15. But Peter, standing up among with the eleven, the eleven apostles, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So see, Peter is defining these people that are all praying in tongues, happening at Pentecost. He's defining what this meant. Okay, what this whole thing meant um, in regard to Acts um, 17-21. Now let's go ahead before we've already read Acts 2, 17-21, but Joel 2, 28-32, Joel 2, 28-32, which defines what's going on in Acts by the prophet Joel. I'm reading there, and it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out upon my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show you wonders, and in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord shall come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem, shall be deliverance. In Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem, shall be deliverance? Wasn't that what we just read in Zechariah? God's going to pour out His Spirit in His supplication? As the Lord hath said, and the remnant... Whom the Lord shall call. Now. Yes. To a certain extent. This was a prelude. To what's going to happen in Revelation. But let's look at this in totality. If this was the only. Thing that was going to occur. When Joel talked about this. Why did he say I will show wonders in the heaven. In the earth the blood and the fire and the pillars of smoke. The only time you're going to find that specific reference is over in Revelation. Which is much after this time that Peter's speaking here. This was like a prelude to this. Remember, the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after knowledge. All of these other things did not happen then. It did not happen then. So somebody could say, well, no, bless God, it's just all right then. But you're not looking at the full context of the verse then. Well, where does it say it in Revelation? That it's blood and fire and smoke and all this other stuff. Because it sure didn't occur in Acts. What Peter was just talking about. Well, let's go, let's look at it right now. Revelation 8, 7 and 8. This is why you have to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay? Revelation 8, 7 and 8. The angel first sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. Do you see this in Acts, where Peter's talking about this? No. Or if... I would think if something like that was happening, it would have been noteworthy in Acts. Didn't. Do the keyword search in the whole Bible. You're going to find this is the only other place it's talked about. Joel and Revelation. Fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up, and the second angel sounded, and there was a great mountain burning with fire, was cast into the sea. And a third part of the sea became blood. Okay, remember what Joel said, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood, fire, and pillars of smoke. Now also, bear this in mind, that once Jesus Christ, once His death, burial, and resurrection, and the Pentecost came, we're 
we're essentially in the latter times. We're essentially in the last times as well. That's another point to think about, okay? So this is connected with the very start of the modern day Jesus Christ Christian era, okay? Now, let's look further. Revelation 8, 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened. Remember? Same thing that Joel's saying. And of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. There's another confirmation. That's the second. That's the third verse in Revelation. Here's another verse. Revelation 9.2 And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit, and as the smoke of the great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the great pit. Again, thus confirming Joel. Okay, and I will sh- again, Joel reads, and I will show sign, show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood and before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. We're dealing with the tribulation in Revelation here. Okay, let's go further. Revelation 6.12 and I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Again, a total confirmation of what Joel says. And the only time that occurs is in Revelation, in the tribulation period. Now, if you read Acts, in which we already read, Acts 2, 17 and 21, it says, I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions, and the old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on the handmaidens I will pour up my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show signs, show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible notable day of the Lord come. When does that occur? Primarily. Well, the, 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 everything that was just mentioned here, at least the last part of the verse, occurs in Revelation, as we've just seen. I gave you four verses. It's the only time in Scripture these same things are ever brought up again. And the foreknowledge, the forewitness was in Joel. So, when somebody comes to you and says, oh, well, yeah, but look, it says, um, this is why we can have women preachers. Daughter, It says your daughters will prophesy. So what? Does that mean they can be a preacher anyway? Even if that were true for this exact day and time we're living in, does that give them right to be a pastor? When you have all the other things that I read previously, putting the restrictions on a pastor? Somebody who's a prophet is not a pastor anyway. A person could prophesy something that doesn't make them a pastor. So anyway, hopefully you've seen that argument really doesn't hold up in the day and time we're living in. Uh, Now, as far as judges go, let's talk about judges now with Deborah. Now, Deborah... Uh, relating to Deborah and Jael, who's another woman that they'll refer to, it contains four main sections. Deborah, uh, we'll actually just talk about three. Deborah, who's a judge of Israel, summoned Barak. And that was in Judges 4, 1 through 11, and Judges 5, 1 through 18. When war and oppression came, Deborah acted as a leader of the people. She chose the most able military general and told him what he must do. Now, I'm just giving you an outline here. We're going to go into this much depth in a second here. And then, the battle was fought. And Caesarea fled. And that's in Judges 4, 12-16, and 5, 19-23. The superior enemy forces were routed. Their troops were slaughtered. The Israelites were jubilant. Their faith in God was strengthened. Caesarea, the enemy general, fled from the battlefield toward the encampment of Jael, the Canaanite woman. Now, Jael met Caesarea and killed him. 
in Judges 4, 17-24, and 5, 24-27. Jael called Caesarea into her tent, hid him there, and fed him. After Caesarea fell asleep, I think she gave him more milk. Which will put you to sleep, because it has a lot of tryptophan in it. Um, Jael killed him by driving a tent peg through the side of his head. Read it for yourself. I got the Bible references I just gave. She was hailed as a national hero by the pursuing Israelite force, led by Deborah and Barak. So this is, these are the verses that what the Pentecostals will use and people that want to have women preachers. Hey, yeah, but look at Deborah. Well, number one, she wasn't a priest. She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't in that role at all. And we're going to look at why, De why God had to use Deborah. Now, in the time of Judges 21-25, through 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This was a rebellious wicked time. Hardly a time where we would use as a great example of the way things should be. So please consider the context of the verse. Just read Judges 2 and 3 to understand the unbelievable rebellion that the Jews were in towards the Lord. Read, read Judges 2 and 3 and tell me if you think this was a godly time. In chapter 4, the Lord permits Deborah to judge in Israel. He permits it. The Lord had to actually use these women to accomplish His will as the Lord could not find a suitable king or a man for that matter. That's how bad it was. Not, not, not putting women down, but he, he had to call a woman, which is really an indictment against the whole Jewish race of the time. There wasn't one man that he could find? I mean, I praise God that he used her. But this was not the ideal way the Lord had traditionally chose to deal with his enemies, either before or after. We have, this is how cults get started. Like, Okay, so in other words, the men of this time really dropped the ball in regard to this issue. It wasn't something that the men should be praised for. It was an indictment against the men. Now, if we go to Isaiah 3.12, and we read that, and it states, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and the women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. Now, could this verse be an endorsement for women ruling over you? I think not. So this is further confirmation in the Old Testament, which is when, you know, the book of Judges was written, when Deborah was there. So we're talking, you know, the Old Testament. This cannot be conceived as an endorsement for women rulers. Now notice here it said children are their oppressors, which you see a lot of that today. see a lot of the children ruling over their own parents. They're like little dictators sometimes. like you know, and, and they go and they strong arm their parents. They know how to manipulate their parents. And their parents let them get away with it. And the school systems and these types of things are bringing children up this way. To If your children, if your parents do this to you, well then you come and tell us. And we'll send the HRS to them and we'll uh, make sure that they take care of your mean old parents. And we'll get you with somebody that, that's going to treat you right. And there's a program in the schools called the D.A.R.E. program which uh, encourages this type of behavior among children. Which is really pretty sick. They're banning spanking now up in uh, Maryland in these types of places. And by doing so, that is a direct commandment against the Bible. Because the Bible talks about the rod, you know, and the reproof giveth wisdom. And that a child left to himself will bring his mother to shame. So, when you have all these rules being enacted in, in you know, government and these types of things, then it's just signs that the society is degrading further and further. 
And then the next part, having women rule over them. And then it says, oh my people. So this is in regard to God's people. At the time this would have been the, you know, the Bible-believing Jews following the Levitical law. And then it says, they which lead thee cause thee to err. Well now, who's leading them? It says the women rule over them. So when you have women ruling over you, they're going to cause you to err because it's not the way God intended it to be. They're not intended to be the head. But if it ever gets to that point, and it's really coming in America because when Hitler is elected, most likely she's going to be elected. When she's elected, we're going to have one of the most wicked witches ever of all time ruling over this country. Just What this is is a sign of God's judgment on us. And then it says, what happens then is they destroy the way of thy paths. Oh, they're going to lead you down the broad path, I guarantee that. So now if we go and we study this subject further, there is a, uh, we're going to be quoting from a whole study that David Cloud, Pastor David Cloud did on this subject, entitled, Women Leaders in the Bible. And uh, I put the link there on the site, you can go right to it. I left this totally intact. And uh, Women Leaders in the Bible. Starting this, it says a report in the St. Paul Pioneer Press, June 19, 1996, reviewed the ministries of several women who preached to large groups of men and women. <clears throat> One of these was Billy Graham's own daughter, Anne Graham Lotz. The report noted that these women, quote, draw their inspiration from the many female preachers and prophets, some nameless in the Bible. <clears throat> female preachers. Is that so? Let's look at this further. <clears throat> Let's look for a moment at the women in Scripture who frequently held forth, who are frequently held forth for women preachers today, in order to justify their own actions. The foremost example is the, leader, is the woman leader, Deborah. Now we're going to talk about Deborah a little bit more here. <clears throat> Why did God make Deborah a judge of Israel? This was done in Judges 4, 4, and 5. The answer is not difficult. The men of Deborah's day were very weak and cowardly. This is seen in the fact that Barak, who was the captain of the armies of Israel, refused to go into battle unless Deborah went with them. Did he want his blankie too? And his mommy? He wanted to go into battle. Where Deborah? <laughs> That's pretty bad. I'm sorry, but the woman had to remind him that God had said it is time to fight. The woman had to encourage and challenge him to go. Yeah, the woman had even had to go with him. That's pretty I'm sorry, but that's pretty sad. Now, Judges 4.8, where does it say this? And Barak said unto her, Deborah, If thou will go with me, then I will go. But if thou will not go with me, I will not go. That's pretty sad. A general over an army saying, I'm not going to go if you go with me. I'm scared. Essentially, that's what he's saying. And then it says, Deborah clearly realized that this was not right or natural. And she told Barak it would not result in his honor. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding, meaning nevertheless, the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now this is exactly what happened. Jael, Jael who drove the tent spike and was said, see, Barak never got to kill Sisera. 
he never had that honor on the battlefield, which would have been the, you know, the high honor for Barak to achieve. But she said to him, she said to him, right off, okay, I'll go with you, but this isn't going to be for your honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of the woman. That's exactly what happened. Judges 4.9. Again, this is an indictment against the men of the day. An indictment. This is what the Pentecostals love, or, or any women preachers love to overlook this part of it. Obviously, it was a period in Israel's history during which God could find no man to do his will, so he used a brave, willing woman. And I praise God for that, I do. But it's a, stat, it's a sad state of affairs that he had to do that, though, if you think about it. We can praise God for women like Deborah who are willing to be strong when men are weak. This has often happened both in secular and in church history. The problem in Deborah's day was spiritual apostasy. When God's people turned away from him, he renders men powerless against their enemies and removes wisdom from their hearts. It's like they're being spiritually gelded. It's true. And you see it everywhere in the so-called church, the men won't go against their wives. Even if they know the truth, most, for the most part, they will not go against their wives, because the wives rule over them, because they relinquish that position somewhere down the road a long time ago, and now they can't get it back, because they've lost face. Once you do this to, to your wife, you're, you're going to lose respect in her eyes. And don't think that respect would be easy to get back either doesn't happen that way. You just don't relinquish these things for years and years and years and all of a sudden bow up and want to be a man someday, a biblical man. It doesn't work that way. That's why when you're in a marriage like this, and it's been like this, and people are emailing, well, what do I do? What do? Well, man, you're, you're in a bad situation there. Real bad. Like I said, only the Lord can straighten that out if it be His will. We're going to talk about that more in the next teaching. <clears throat> So it is a judgment upon apostate people when men, when women have to rule over them. We can see this very thing today in the apostate North America and Europe. In general, the leaders are weak and seemingly entirely lacking in common sense. They cannot control their children, and the women rule over them. Now, again, just look at what happens in Isaiah 3.12, which is what we just read. That's judgment upon a nation. The, the children rule over them, and the men are weak, and, and, and the, and the uh, women rule over them as well. This is God's judgment because of the apostate condition of pro professing Christians. In Deborah's day, Israel was in bondage to their enemies. Only because of their apostasy from the true God and His scriptures. This is why the men are so weak. God had removed their power as He did from sinful Samson. Remember when Samson got his hair cut, you know, his power went. Now Amos 2, 14-15 says... Therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force. Neither shall the mighty deliver himself, and he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. Well, this is the day and time we're pretty much living in now. That's why you look around and you wonder, where is the man that will, that will take up the cause? Where is he at? Where are these men at? That should be, you know, coming to the forefront. Someone might ask, if God called Deborah to judge in Israel of old, perhaps he would call a woman to lead in a church today. <clears throat> this cannot be so, because God's word has expressly forbidden the woman to teach or usurp authority over the man in the churches, according to 1 Timothy 2.11 and 12, which we've already talked about that. 
We must rightly divide the word of truth. We do not get our instructions for church work in the Old Testament. We get them from the New Testament. That is very basic. Now, even, even if we were to look to the Old Testament, again, we only have this one example of Deborah. And essentially, that's an indictment against the men, which is very, very clear. <clears throat> what about the daughters of Philip? Were they... They were prophetesses, according to Acts 21, 8, 9. Doesn't this mean that women can preach to men in exercising their gifts of prophecy? Not at all. That is strictly forbidden in 1 Timothy chapter 2. The fact that God gives ministry gifts to women does not, not mean they are free to take authority in the church or to ignore the apostolic injunction against preaching or teaching to men. As a missionary, now this is from David Cloud, as a missionary in South Asia in the 1980s, I wrote a gospel pamphlet entitled, The Unknown God. <clears throat> the message was taken from Paul's sermon on Mars Hill in Acts 17. An, an appropriate message to the idolatrous people of that part of the world. Now remember, this is in uh, South Asia, <clears throat> where he was uh, as a missionary. Some months after we began publishing this illustrated pamphlet, I was approached by a female missionary who began to reprove me for the pamphlet and for what she considered to be an overly negative approach to the gospel. Again, I, I get this strange feeling that all he was getting was her opinion, backed up by zero scripture, which is typically what I get was when I get into any kind of email debate. I get a lot of opinions. Hey, everybody's got opinions, but if your opinions don't line up with the word of God, they're wrong. So, we go further... <clears throat> He says, I was heading to the barber shop one fine afternoon when I saw her coming toward me on her bicycle. Uh, she had collared me before to correct me about this and that. He said, I tried to duck into the barber shop before she could catch me, but alas, I was too slow. She caught up to me and proceeded to take me to task as we were standing on the city street. It's always, it's always that's biblical too, for a, for a woman to come up to a man a male preacher, and, and rebuke him just basically through her opinion. That's totally out of line. Totally out of line. Okay, from the scriptural standpoint. And it said, she called up to me and proceeded to take me a task. As we were standing there, she didn't like the direct approach of condemning idolatry and preaching repentance, even though that's biblical. I reminded her that that was exactly what the Apostle Paul did. She countered that Paul was probably in the flesh when he preached that message. Hey, why don't we just throw the whole Bible out then? Because if you start if you start down that road, then you might as well just throw the whole book out. But there, there's a lot of women today, particularly women, that want to throw out anything Paul ever did. They call him the usurper. They call him a chauvinistic pig. And it's because he was the one that preached on these subjects that they want that out of the Bible. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying all women. I'm just saying a lot of women that are wanting to condone their own sin want all that removed out of the Bible. Uh, let's go further. She countered that Paul was probably in the flesh when he preached that message. I guess she knew that bit of information by revelation or vision or something. <laughs> so I told her that Paul was most certainly not in the flesh when he preached the message, according to Acts chapter 17. But by divine intervention, by divine inspiration, I told her also that if God wanted to correct me, he would use a man to do it, which is actually biblical. 
And then she said, have you not read of the daughters of Philip, who are prophetesses? See, again, they've got to have some little pet niche doctrine, which again is how cults form. Okay? Or, a, or you know, a person can have their own little cult going. There's a lot of people that have their own little niche doctrines that are anti-biblical, and these people get off on their own, out on some island, and they think they're the only ones on the planet hearing from God. I've dealt with a lot of these people. And it's amazing because you go to them and you're like, well, the Bible says the Word of God is of no private interpretation. And yet you think you're the only one evidently right with God on the planet. And there's a lot of people like this. I've dealt with them. You know what that is? That's pride. That's arrogance. That is not meekness and humility before the Lord. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. It's not a place you want to be. <clears throat> and then so after he, she had brought up about the daughters of Philip, he said, I reminded her that when Paul was staying at Philip's house, God brought a male prophet from another city to prophesy to Paul instead of using Philip's daughters. Ah, great point. Let's read. Acts 21, 8-11. Acts 21, 8-11. <clears throat> and the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet, named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem... Now remember, this was, this was a Judea, a certain prophet, a man named Agabus, who took Paul's girl, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentile. Prophesying Paul's imprisonment and ultimate death as a martyr. Okay, so... That's what Acts 21, 8-11. It doesn't say anything about Philip's daughters prophesying to Paul. In fact, it goes out of the way to say the exact opposite. Now, you say, well, here's another example of, of women prophesying in the Old Testament. Yes, the Jews require a sign. When, when Pentecost happened and these things happened to the Jews, there was a time period where the women prophesied and the men dreamed dreams and these types of things. And then when the emphasis started to shift off the Jews and onto the Gentiles... Well, those signs and wonders and these types of things started to slowly stop. When are they going to pick back up? In the book of Revelation. In the tribulation. When the emphasis is going to reshift back to the Jew. That's why. It's going to reshift back to the Jew during the tribulation. These things are going to start up again. How do I know this? Because that's when we, we reference back to the, the, you know, the sun will be darkened and the moon will turn to blood and all these things. The only time that's going to happen in is is in the book of Revelation. It didn't happen in Acts. And again, we've already kind of covered that, but I just kind of wanted to add that as a confirmation there. So that, <clears throat> so going back to the story, he said, when I made this point from the word of God, the missionary lady got back on her bike and pedaled away. There is no doubt that God gave the gifts of prophecy to women. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, had promised that God would do this. And on my head, manes will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, Acts 2.18. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who gives gifts, has placed restrictions upon the exercise of those gifts. 1 Timothy 2, 
1 Corinthians 11 and 14 are Holy Scripture. Immediately after forbidding the woman to speak in the church meetings in 1 Corinthians 14.34, the Apostle warned that those who ignore this instruction are not spiritual. And he says in 1 Corinthians 14.37, If any man think of himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. End of quote. Some will no doubt ask, quote, why does blessing... Okay, so going back to that question, it says, Some will no doubt ask, why does blessings appear to be upon the ministries of some women who preach and teach to men? First of all, God sometimes blesses the ministries of His Word in spite of the heirs of the minister. In such cases, though the minister, whether it be a man or woman, will only receive personal reward in for the labor in as much as it was done according to the Word of God. Well, to be quite honest with you, I really don't bind that very much. I believe it's more the second part of this, which says, second, many times, that which appears to be God's blessing is not. See, God's not going to contradict His Word. Okay, I'm not saying God can't use something seemingly evil for His good. That's been done quite a bit. But it's definitely not the norm, and we definitely don't want to use that as an excuse, or a liberty, or use liberty for an occasion of the flesh. That we might sin, that grace may abound. We, that's not what we want to do. The Mormon church is one of the fastest growing churches, but it is apostate. It preaches a false gospel. The same is true of the Roman Catholic Church, which is the largest church in the world. Whatever apparent blessings these, quote, churches have is a deception. I think that's the essence of it. Okay? Because it is not from God. The Bible warns repeatedly of the danger of spiritual delusion. There are false gospels, false Christs, false spirits, according to 2, Thess 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. Jesus warned of the multitude who will stand before him in judgment and boast of their spiritual accomplishments, but he will say unto them, quote, In our press, I'll profess unto them, I never knew, I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Matthew 7.23 The devil poses an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. My friends, the bottom line is that the Bible, God's holy word, forbids a woman to teach or usurp authority over man. He forbade it over 1900 years ago, and he forbids it today. Beware of being influenced by the rebellion of the hour that we live in. First uh, Timothy 2.11-14 Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being in transgression. 1 Corinthians 14.34-37 says, Let your woman keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. As also says the law, and if we'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shameful woman to speak in the church. Um, if we go further then, what many do, now this is back to, to my response to this original letter that, that I was responding to, what many do is claim some pet doctrine without comparing scripture to scripture to get the big picture. This is what we, we continually hear when you hear somebody refer to the you know, the prophetesses of Philip, his daughters, and, and, and what they talk about in the book of Acts, where the women will prophesy, and Deborah, and these types of things. It's a pet doctrine. This is the basis for most cults that form that still claim to use the Bible as their foundation. Now, the Bible says in Mark 7.13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. That's what we're really talking about. They're making it of none effect. We've already talked about 2 Timothy 2.15 where it talks about studying to show yourself approved unto God. 
And then also in Acts 17, 11, and 12, where it says, these, meaning the Bereans, okay, the Berean people, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Okay, and they were more noble. This is the thing that's very good. Um, so, that was how I ended the letter there. And we're going to go ahead and go to our next part of the teaching here. In just one second. May God bless you.